Here at HorrorOasis.com, we are advocates of the horror genre and strive to amplify underrepresented voices in the horror community. This space is for indie artists to promote their work. Please enjoy your stay, and hopefully it's not your last. Spacefaring researchers disturb an ancient horror. An enchanted object curses a grieving widow. A haunted reel torments a film student. A murder trial hinges on a chilling testimony. Howls from Hell. A new horror anthology from Hal Society Press. Stephen Graham Jones calls it quality horror by true believers who can write. With a foreword by Grady Hendrix, Howls from Hell unveils the horror writers of tomorrow with spine-tingling stories from P.L. McMillan, Shane Hawk, J.W. Donnelly, Lindsay Ragsdale, Amanda Nevada DeMille, and others. Available now in paperback, ebook, and audiobook from Amazon and most other major booksellers. Howls from Hell. Welcome to Dead Headspace, part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead. We re-exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we're talking with the author of the Nocturnal series, Vic LeMay Miss. Say hi, Vic LeMay. I had a nice, like, sing-songy, say hi, Vic LeMay. <laughs> hi! <laughs> but she didn't match her for energy, so point goes to her. Say hi, Vic LeMay. Yeah. Oh. Hi! Oh, damn like, it. How many times do I have to say that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm done. Sorry. Um, yeah, so let's just dive right into it. What got you into horror? Uh, I think I have to give that to my older brother. Because he is a massive horror fan, and um, he, you know, he's six years older than me. And, you know, at that time, he was supposed to be, you know, babysitting me. He would usually just, you know, be sitting in the sitting on the couch with his friends watching horror movies. And, you know, he kind of, like, wasn't the best babysitter in the world. Or should I say maybe he was the best babysitter in the world? Because, you know, he wouldn't really punish me for, you know, sneaking out of my room and watch the horror movies, <laughs> like, behind the sofa. That's great. Was there one movie that really stuck out for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie um, kind of scarred me for life. Uh, I remember, like I said, he was babysitting me. I was supposed to be in bed, but he and his friends had been talking about this movie called Aliens, like the entire day, and they were like really hyping themselves up. And of course, I got hyped up as well because I was like, "Ooh, Aliens! What's that?" 
And uh, as usual, I snuck behind the sofa, heard this really weird sound coming from the TV. And as soon as my head like pops out from the sofa, I get the scene with the chest burster. Oh, no. Oh, Alien, the first one. No, no, the second one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a scene in the second movie where you know they find all the col- the colonies colony people, and they found find one woman who's still alive, and she's like, "Help me!" And I'm like, "Oh no, someone help her!" And then you know that yep. chest scene. Uh, yeah. Was it was it all uh, American horror that you guys watched, or was there anything from a uh, from your side of the world that you guys watched that you really enjoyed? It was more American horror. Oh, okay. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking about like uh, we had Henrik uh, Nelson on. He he does uh, he does this amazing sculptures of monsters from. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, following him on Twitter. Okay, yeah. So he's closer to. What, I'm gonna mix it up. It, it's not. Is it? It's Sweden, right? Yeah. Okay. I I mix up Switzerland and Sweden. They're not even close to each other, but. No. <laughs> That's just my dumb American brain. Uh, I was so, going to say, you are a product of the American education system. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're proud of me, Mom. Um, so <laughs> he he would say the same thing, only he's a little bit older than us. Um, and he was talking about how he would watch American horror movies. But back then, he really, it was kind of like, um, what do you say? It's kind of like. It's hard to come by. It's not the fun. It's not the theater version. So you guys got to see because we're. I think we're all of the same age. We, you know, you got to see like a, a good version of everything, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. That's, yeah, that that's great. Uh, you know what? Alien Four Resurrection was the one that really fucked with me. I mean, like it did when I was a little kid, but when I was a little bit older, I saw Resurrection with my older cousins. And I kept hiding behind them. They're like, you're scared. I'm like, no, I'm not. And then I hide behind them. But that one scene where the alien gets sucked out through a tiny hole piece by oh, piece. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, a, that was a nasty scene. I couldn't eat meat after that for a while. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's so funny because I love those films. I like I love the alien films. They're like my favorite horror films. But even today, I have to psych myself up to watch it. <laughs> It's just like, okay, it's the middle of the day, the sun is shining, I should be safe, right? And then I start the movie, and I immediately start sweating. I'm like, nope, nope, not today's not a good day. Mm-mm, nope, we're good. Brandon, why don't you take over, bud? So, you know, you, you, you pop out from behind the couch, Alien pops out of the chest. Um, what, what's your reaction? Are you, are you like, <laughs> entranced, or do you run away screaming? I was like petrified like i I wasn't i wasn't trans there's like i just because this is a scene i've never seen before and like this is like this thing was just you know moving like out of the chest and i'm like what's happening i remember i asked my brother like what what movie is this and my brother's like oh no you're not supposed to see that but then he's just, you know, being the lazy babysitter that he is, uh, that he was, he was like, uh, you know, j- just go back to bed, go back to bed. And I'm like, how can I go back to bed after this? I have so That's... many questions. 
<laughs> so you had to start it over at the beginning, you know, and then eventually go back to the first movie, you know, kind of yep. weed through all that mythos and <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> answer yep. all those questions. Yep. I still can't, uh, well, I can watch Alien for a little bit more, a little longer than Aliens, but at the same time, I always keep worrying about Jonesy. <laughs> Because I'm a, I'm a cat person. I've been raised with cats since, you know, since I was born, I think. I mean, I have two, two cats at home even now. And just the thought, like, why did you bring a fucking cat to space? <laughs> That's a good question. It is why? Good. I mean, I know he's your companion, but I wouldn't, I would leave my cats. So I, I think it's so interesting that, you know, little Vic LeMay has the same reaction as older Vic LeMay. So I'm wondering, as a writer, you know, when you set out to create your own stories, is that what you wanted to inspire in people that read them? Yeah, I want, definitely, I wanted to be shocked. Uh, and I wanted to be like, oh, I did not see that coming, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, you know, I think, you know, the brutality of, this, that's chestburster scene and aliens might have, you know, just seeped right into me. And I just, I always look for this kind of brutality whenever I'm writing. Well, I mean, I, we'll get into the Nocturnal series further, but I'll tell you straight out that there was a moment late in book one that you pulled that off with me uh, in spades. The I did not see that coming. Uh, and maybe I should have, but I didn't. Uh, you know, it's brutal and oh shit, she went there. Um, so, hey, if that's what you're going for, I, you know, you're pulling it off. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, book one is so far, in my opinion, the most brutal of the three. Not yeah. to take away how the second and third are pretty uh, violent at times, but the first one is just like, oh, my God. It's like a good comparison for me is House, House of a Thousand Corpses would be book one. Oh, oh nice. that one. That one's the most like gruesome and grotesque, and uh, yeah. then the second one's like, all right, this is pretty fucked up still, but it's it's like a softer version, but still fucked up. <laughs> Brandon, why don't you take us away with Nocturnal series? Yeah, so I mean, let's talk about vampires. Um, you talked a little bit about your early experience with aliens. Tell us what made you say, "I want to write vampire fiction," because that's a big chunk of what you write. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, I grew up reading Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, I had different kinds of uh, editions that I uh, that my brother actually owned. So, you know, I used to steal from him, of course, uh, because my mom didn't think that horror was good for girls. And I'm like, I have two brothers. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and, and even my dad, he was like, I mean, she loves cars and everything. So why why not? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I had like the the, the regular like the, not like the first edition but you know the paperback version of uh, Bram Stoker's Get Dracula and then uh, my brother also owned like an illustrated version which was actually pretty cool and I was just really fascinated how this kind of old but still young looking vampire just could create so much dread and just so much horror all around him without people at all knowing what the hell was going on. And I just really, really loved that idea that, you know, there, 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 there is a being just walking among us normal humans and you don't know whether he's, uh, you know, just a normal guy or he's just a vicious beast who can just rip your throat out. And I just really, 
as I grew up, I always kept looking for, you know, these kind of stories like this, anything that had to do with vampires, I just immediately grabbed. And I remember um, when I was in college, I saw the book Twilight. And I had no idea what that book was about. I just like looked at the cover, cover uh, like the blurb, and I'm like, hmm, vampires, all right, great. And I bought the copy, and I didn't even read the book because it was, at, it was during finals. And my friends and I decided to, you know, just to, blow, just to blow off some steam after studying for the finals, we decided to go to the movies, and Twilight was showing. And we had no idea, again, what the movie was about, except that it had vampires. And I'm like, vampires, good shit. You can't miss it. And then we went to see it. And the, the entire cinema was filled with 15-year-olds shrieking and gasping and just, you know, not the kind of theater I was, <laughs> I was actually hoping for. And when I saw that scene when he was, like, glittering in the fucking day, I just lost it. I'm like, I, I almost stood up and I was ready to walk out. And my friend was like, no, 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 no. This is hilarious. We need to, we need to sit this through and just laugh. And we, I think we were the only four people in the entire hall just laughing the entire time. <laughs> and it was so fun. It was even more funny because there were so many of those 15-year-olds who just, you know, had to reach behind, the, like, look, look over their shoulders and give us nasty looks. It's like, how dare you? How dare you? And I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> I mean, how dare me? I mean, how dare the fucking person who ruined vampires for people? Safe to say, Stephanie Meyer probably won't ever listen to this, so. <laughs> but yeah. it, would, it would be funny to see your vampires versus hers in a book, so. Oh, Just throwing yeah. that out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. not, even, not even just the vampires. I mean, my songs, they would just kick her ass. <laughs> <laughs> so basically I had just noticed that you know the the myth or you know how people perceive vampires had just really just fallen into the paranormal romance category. It just had to be this romanticized thing and I just uh, and I just remember you know since childhood I'm like no I mean yeah I can I, I can understand the charm they're supposed to be charming because that's how they lure you into you know eating you. And how are you not fucking scared about that? And so I decided, like, okay, fuck it. I'm, well, I need my I need my own vampires. I need to make them scary as shit. And if there's no one else here to write about it, I'll just write it. That's great. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt, Brennan. Oh, okay. So uh, I guess the next thing I want to know is what made you decide that it's going to be set in Anchorage? Well... I've, I've covered this before, but I mean, you guys need to have it as well and on your podcast. But <laughs> a lot of people have asked me, like, why I didn't set it in Iceland. I actually wrote, uh, I wrote an article about it and a horror DNA, they published it. Like the five reasons or the four reasons that I didn't set the Nocturnal series in Iceland. Because, you know, I am Icelandic. Uh, was because um, I live in an, on an island. It's in the middle of the fucking north. <laughs> and uh, about 350,000 people live here and we basically all know each other there's always going to be that element like if you see that one person like walking down the street and your spouse or maybe your sibling be like oh yeah this is my best friend's uncle niece blah 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 and you're like oh yeah yeah I think I remember her from that time yeah yeah so you know having vampires prancing around in Iceland would not be well received because you know 
they would know. Yeah. And, you know, if a person got, miss- got missing, we would know. Especially if someone was killed. I mean, we would know. There was a, there was a, a horrible murder here in Iceland a couple of years ago uh, of an Icelandic girl. And, she, of course, she went missing first. And then we got suspicious and she might have been murdered. And, you know, just the whole country just got together and decided to search for her. And she was found within, I think, a week or two weeks. And we also found the guy who killed her. So, <laughs> that I, uh, you know, having that, you know, behind my head and trying to rewrite the Nocturnal series, I'm like, no, 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 this will be a witch hunt in the most extreme thing. And I don't want my vampires to die yet. I don't think it would be uh, really a series either. <laughs> no, exactly. And I mean, also, like, the, the country is small. Like, this island is small. You can go around the country if you go to the, what we call the ring road. It's like this just all around the country. And you, you can get, you can go around in maybe three to four days. So it's it's not a long journey. And it's, I mean, despite we have amazing landscapes and everything. Yeah, it's beautiful. We wouldn't. Pictures. Yeah, we wouldn't really, you know, I wouldn't get the theme or the atmosphere that I would want in the series. So I decided to look up some places in in the U.S. that, you know, would be similar. And Alaska has the same geo, like geographical climate. It also has like similar, similar landscapes. And, you know, the clock uh, is similar here. So they have the same kind of like when there's like. Sun, a summer here in Iceland that we have like a longer summer day, so which which we call the midnight sun. Like the sun is up until midnight or way into the night. It's similar in Anchorage. So there's these were elements that I was familiar with, so I could use it to write the first book at least. That's a great answer, and I'm <clears throat> almost I almost feel silly for asking it because like now that you've laid out, I'm like, wow, that's it's you're right. It's not conducive to like a smallish island setting. Um, it's you know it's a sprawling series. There's a lot of traveling. Even just in book one, they make their way almost to uh, like southern Oregon, northern California. Um, uh, but that's that's really neat that you kind of took what you you know. Obviously, they always say write what you know, and you said, okay, well, I can't set it here but I can find somewhere like here that will allow me to kind of expand in the way I need to. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Because I really just wanted to be like a road trip kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, you can do a road trip in Iceland, but it wouldn't be as exciting as it would happen in your Anchorage, you know? Yep. So real quick, before we dive into the story, we were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, you talk about Counter-Strike and I think only two of the books, but you still mention them and, I don't really hear anyone talk about that game these days. Uh, I was obsessed with that game. Started playing in 2001, uh, when like a year or two after it came out, and uh, that was fun as hell. That was my first like experience playing, jumping in random servers, playing with uh, different countries. And I, there was one point when I was a little bit older. Um, I don't think of drinking age, but close. Where I was just drunk off my ass playing with some Middle Eastern country and we couldn't understand each other, but they were laughing at the stupid shit I was saying. So I think that there's a universal understanding that this, this dumbass is drunk, but my whole point of bringing that up is, uh, I love that game. Uh, you mentioned a few times where you're in the, the, uh, book Leia's brothers playing it. And 
I have a feeling your brother probably played it too. So, yep. My Let's... my brother my brother played it. Uh, my little brother played it. My husband still plays it. Oh, nice. So yeah, I just had to bring that element in there. I'm like, people probably don't know what Counter Strike is, but you know, the more you know, the more you learn. It was just uh, it's, it, it was one of those games for anyone that doesn't know. Um, when I was like, I think uh, th- 12, 13, I wanted to be one of those players that I never got half as good as I wanted to be, but there were tournaments, you had to be 18 or older, and I had like five years to go. So uh, there was this big tournament in Texas, there was these big tournaments in Europe, there were other places throughout the world. You could make fucking bank. If your team yeah. won, you could, you wouldn't be set for life. You'd be, especially as an 18 year old, you're looking at a pretty. <laughs> You don't need a job for a little while. And the arenas were packed. Like, there's e-gaming. I think it's fair to say, I'm going on a tangent, but I think it's fair to say that e-gaming, if it isn't right now, there's a good chance that it could be a threat to actual physical sports due to the fanfare. I mean, I've looked at the numbers. The audiences, uh, some of them are bigger than some sports. I don't know about, like, football or soccer, but... They're, they're pretty damn big. So did you ever play Counter-Strike yourself? <laughs> I have no hand-to-eye coordination when it comes to first, <laughs> like when it comes to shooter games. I'm just so bad at it. I remember uh, when uh, my husband and I started dating a little bit, um, he had like this kind of LAN party. Mm. And uh, he invited a couple of friends over and they would, would play together in his garage or his parents' garage. And um, he invited me to play as well and i'm like okay that's cool uh kind of feel like hey i'm part of the guys yay um and i sat down and we started to play i think it was doom i think mm. we played doom Ooh, nice and uh he but before we started he was just like you know stood up and told the guys like hey this is our first time and uh, just go easy on her she, she's now she's just working out the kinks and everything and uh, guys were like yeah it's fine it's fine so i start and he shoots me dead in the first minute. Your husband? Yeah. Oh, that bastard. <laughs> so I was like, yep, I'm done. <laughs> now, I didn't understand what that term was for a while, but just in, you know, if someone's not a gamer or whatever, it's land is just like a local uh, area network. But in this case, it means just a bunch of local people in one area playing, not connected online. Um there was a land center in, I grew up in a town called Bridgewater, just like super suburbia in Massachusetts. Like, there's actually, I don't know if it's all suburbia, there's some rural farmland there too. But anyways, there was um, there was a land center and I played Counter-Strike a lot. It's not there anymore. I don't know what happened. But uh, before we were recording also... For anyone that also played and drank balls, it was this, and you can still find it on Google. It's B A W L Z. It's a blue bottle, has bumps on it. They knew what they were doing. I'm just throwing it out there because it's funny as hell. <laughs> it was good. I don't know if they changed it up, but it, it, it used to be pretty good. So, Brendan, how about you take us away before I just go off the rails completely? No, I, I, I want to ask you a question because, uh, and, and you know, any Vicklem, I feel feel free to jump in if you have any insight into this. But I never understood why, uh, you know, I used to see things at like the supermarket, like uh, Mountain Dew game fuel. It's like you're sitting on a couch pressing buttons. What the what the hell do you need fuel for? 
<laughs> I, think, I, I think it probably just meant, you know, we want you to stay up the entire fucking night, so here's your fucking fuel. <laughs> That's the new slogan. Mountain Dew, take notice. <laughs> I'm going to be really disappointed if I don't... I'm gonna be really disappointed if I don't see that in a bottle at some point. <laughs> yeah, Brennan, Brennan's like, why don't a bunch of nerds need fuel? <laughs> it's a, I, I don't know. It's like it, it it just seems like it's trying to like rival like a you know a Gatorade. Like, hey, refuel yourself because you just ran <laughs> around for an hour and a half. It's like, hey, refuel yourself because you fucking ate a lot of Cheetos. I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's upsetting a lot of listeners. I'm sure. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's true. I'm eventually going to have to learn my way around video games if I'm going to keep doing this show. We're, we talk about them entirely too much for me to know nothing about them. We had Mark <laughs> Laidlaw, the dude that yep. is... If you're going to say this one person made Half-Life what it is, yeah. And yeah. it's it's Mark. And, uh, I mean, he, he, he was grateful uh, we were grateful enough to get him to talk a little bit about half-life but he's going on like 30 plus years of talking about that game um kind of want to bring it back to nocturnal the nocturnal series that's how's fair. the how's how's the uh reception been on book one and now all the way up to book three i think it has been good i mean people really enjoy the first book which was you know i I try not to have like huge expectations because you know, uh, you know, imposter sy- syndrome, and you know, th- you know, being a writer, you're like, my stuff is never good enough. You kind of have that kind of mindset on you, and I'm just trying not to be, you know, to have a huge head because you know that could always bring you down. So I'm realistic about you know if people don't like my stuff, I just you know I respect them for it. I'm like, thank you still for reading it, and you know that's good. But yeah. But- People have really, really loved book one, which is great. And um, as I I mentioned, like in my acknowledgments, it was supposed to be just a standalone story. And uh, thankfully, my editor, uh, Serena Langer, she just, you know, kind of almost reached through the like the computer screen and like, no, 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 no. This has potential. You just need to look for it. I know you can do it. Leia has she has more stuff to do. And I just, you know, I didn't really believe it at the time. But then, one, you know, when you're doing these kind of mundane things like mopping the floor or just doing the dishes, you could just have these kind of revelations. And that just happened to me one, like one summer. I was just doing the dishes at one of my part-time jobs, and I just had this moment like, "Hey, actually, wait, what if this happens to her brother now? I mean, you know, I gotta fuck up her family entirely. So why <laughs> the fuck not her brother?" And then that's how book two came alive. And then, you know, with when I was writing book two, I imagined like, hey, I think I have stuff for book three as well. And yeah, people people have got like mixed, mixed reviews regarding book two, which is, I mean, understandable. It's a, it's what always happens when it comes to sequels. And I was really worried about that, but they've still enjoyed it at the same time and it hasn't gotten like the like most ravest reviews like book one has but it doesn't really bother me that much because as i was as i was saying you know sequels it's really hard to get a, to do a good sequel yeah uh, and book three so far i think you know because i tried to amp up the action a bit a little bit 
in book three. I uh, think people have gotten like, hey, look, look at that. She's gotten back to the action, which is, which is what she's good at. I'm like, I mean, that's good. Why don't you uh, tell us in your own words what the first book's about or the series? So the Nocturnal series is this journey for an uh, anxious girl. She, uh, her name is Leia Walker. She's named after, uh, of course, the Star Wars princess because her father is a huge Star Wars fan. And um, she just is going through this entire world, just trying both to get a grip of what this world is about, especially just her you know, regular world, which involves you know, her dealing with anxiety and OCD. And then this new world that she's kind of thrust into by her best friend, Sophie Gardner, which is the world of vampires. And she's just, you know, trying to go through the motions, which is, you know, not, a, not really something you can do when, you know, vampires and ghouls and vampire hunters and songs are kind of just trying to kill you. And she's just, you know, trying to survive and just trying to find herself in that world, whether she belongs or not. I love that ghoul scene. That was so fucked up. <laughs> it was so cool. Like the way you describe how also uh, like a ghoul is is dying, uh, you really honed in on it's, you know, it's like you have a microscope and you're like, here's the most brutal part and here's some sensory details to make you just have your nerves jitter. <laughs> he did a great job with that. Brendan, what was your take on the ghoul scene? I loved the ghouls. That's that. <clears throat> excuse me. I I hit that part, and uh, I just kind of had this uh, realization. I guess might be the closest word that uh, the way you were expanding the mythos in a such a, such a nice organic ma- matter uh, manner. Can't talk this morning. Too early. Um, like that's that's when it hit me. You know how much I enjoyed it, and you know you you've described this as uh, a YA book, um, and I want to talk more about that. But I feel like uh, you know I, I compared it to the Percy Jackson books, and I'm I apologize if you don't take that well, but I love those books. No, I mean those. There's a reason why they're so well received. So I, yeah. I take that as a huge compliment. I mean, Russ Jeffrey he compared it to the Hunger Games books, mm-hmm. and those are one of my favorite books. So I was like, oh my, that's awesome. Yeah. Shout out but, to like, uh, Ross Jeffrey. So, yeah. It, it just reminded me of the way that, you know, the characters kind of come first and the way that the, in that case, the Greek mythology is kind of laid out. So it's not just dropped in your lap as a big exposition dump, but it's done very naturally throughout the story, you know, where we get to that point with the ghouls and it's, oh God, what now? We get to that part where they're staying at the um, kind of uh, motel um, and we learn a little bit, we, it, uh, the world unfolds a little bit bigger. Um, I, I love the way that was handled, you know, and of course, back, back to what Patrick was saying about unfolding the brutality. Yeah, you don't let us look away very often. And <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I had to just really put myself in like this kind of situation because, you know, I'm uh, the story is written like in first person present tense. And you're going through all of this as Leia. So she, you know, she has to feel and sense all of it. So I try, I try to put like all of the senses in there. And I have like this huge thing with when it comes to smell. 
if there's something that's really off-putting that it kind of triggers my uh, anxiety and I try and I put that as well into Leia especially when it came to smell and just you know yeah writing that goal seemed just it was super fun but at the same time it cheered my stomach yeah. I had something oh, you're not jumping in okay no, I, I had something but my brain just went blank because I heard a, I heard a cat and Oh yeah, yeah. That's one of my cats. Like I said, he, they, they, they really need sometimes attention. I'm like, why do you need it now? You're sleeping. It threw me off. Sorry, pee brain. <laughs> I can't remember what I was gonna ask. That's my cat, Robocop. <laughs> Is that really your cat's name? I forgot you had yep. a cat named Robocop. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. When, when we, when we, and my husband and I decided to get, get cats, I was adamant that I would get to choose them because they had to be brothers. Uh, from like from the same litter mm -hmm. and uh, he just said okay as long as I get to name one of the cats and I'm like yeah sure and we found two one who is completely black I, that was one of the conditions uh, for me as well I had to have a black cat because I love black cats and the other one was completely gray and he just took at him and he's just yeah his name is Robocop because Robocop is his favorite film that's a good film I, I know what though we had the same thing happen in my house. I didn't want another cat, so obviously we got another cat, but uh, I got to name it. That's how we ended up with Sergeant Peppers. <laughs> See? <laughs> now, uh, I was going to talk about book one, and I am having a difficult time remembering which thing I want to hone in on. Um, Brendan, you got anything else on book one trigger my mem memory? I don't know if it's book one specific, but I was curious, you know, when you were designing Leia as a character, how much of yourself did you put into her? Like, maybe 70% of me. <laughs> I mean, she is basically my insecure self. She's like this socially awkward person. Like, I, I, can, I, I can exude, like, this extrovertedness. But at the same time, I'm cringing so much on the inside. I'm like, nope, nope, this can't be good. I just want to be home where people can't see me and I can just, you know, be awkward by myself. And um, especially when it got in regards to anxiety, um, all of the whole her experiences that I put in the book, they're personally like what happens to me. So I managed to put that in. That is something I wanted to cover. You talk a whole lot about anxiety throughout the series. I imagine it's going to stay that way. Um, I, I like that because I'm seeing more and more discussion about things that I'm sure when we were all growing up was considered like taboo. Yeah. Such, such as your mental health, which I don't get why you want to talk about that in the first place. But you talk about it a lot. And I think that's one thing that separates the story, never mind that specifically a vampire story, from uh stories of the same nature yeah um, it, it's one thing you know like first off you're icelandic and i don't know honestly up front i don't know any other icelandic authors so that's one thing i was like i should check this out she's probably got you know her have her own culture and stuff that i'm not aware of um i want to read that but then i started reading it and I'm like holy shit that's why i got through them pretty quick uh, i do uh um text to speech and like I know everyone's not everyone's not programmed that way where they can digest the stories but I found out that's the way I can and uh, I was listening I had a six hour car drive 
this past week or maybe two weekends ago, and my wife my wife schooled with me like playing my books on the car ride, and uh, she was just she's getting like a little agitated with Leia. She's like, "No, don't do that. Why are you trusting that person? Again? That that other person already fucked you." <laughs> I was like, oh, "She's not into horror, but Tara's getting into this. I like this," and um. <laughs> I ended up listening to the rest of book one on my uh, my own. I literally had one earbud in my ear, with the exception of of uh, dinner and a barbecue with my immediate family. I had um, I had one earbud in my ear pretty much the whole weekend, and I just like blasted through book two and three. And there's a reason for that. It's just so fucking good. Like me and Brandon both talked. We both love the series and can't wait for the next to come out. I don't really know if there's a question in how to end this, so it's just my way of kind of saying, like, hey, listeners, you should check this out. It's very different from other vampire novels. Um, Brennan, I don't know how to end this, so why don't you just, like, say anything? <laughs> I'll, I'll just pretend I'm you and continue talking. So, Thank you. You, know, you, you mentioned... You're handsome, Patrick. <laughs> Do you... I don't know where to go with that. I don't hear that, so I just want to say to you. <laughs> um... Well, there goes my train of thought. So you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, um, the response to the second book wasn't quite as powerful as as book one. And, you know, my interpretation of that is because uh, book two and three have an arc that kind of spans the two books. So you don't get everything quite as wrapped up at the end of two as you would at one and three. Now, going forward, you're you're going to you're planning to write six books in the series. Yeah. How much of that are you going to do again, where you have arcs that span multiple books? I mean, like, apart from, like, after I finish the Nocturnal series, or? Oh, no, I mean, in going forward, are, are, are we going to have more self-contained stories, or are they going to be like, you know, let's say we get to the end of book four, mm. and we get a mini wrap-up, but there's still, you know, something big to deal with. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, book four is, I think, going to be more of like a self-sustained, self-sustained story. But like I said, like you mentioned, there might be a li- like a little bit that you know will lead people on to the book f- to book five, and then book five and six. Well, book five it's going to be like book two and book three. So it's going to be connected. So as you know, because it has to wrap up in book six. What's going to happen? Who's your favorite character, Ryan? My my favorite character. Oh yeah, I, I should have asked you first. Sorry, who's your favorite character? He was uh, asking me, which makes no sense because I'm not here to be interviewed right now. No, that's <laughs> that's true. Well, I want to get an overall thing. I'm gonna ask Brian first. I'm sorry, that was stupid. Well, who's your favorite character? <laughs> my favorite is Sophie. Why? Because she is the other part of me, the mm-hmm. one that is you know unabashed is gets angry quickly and just and rightfully so <laughs> and who it has this kind of confidence that you know she just doesn't give a fuck anymore and she's just all about self-preservation and that's what i really really love about her she's like she's the kind of badass character that i want to see more in other horror like in horror films or in like horror novels you know, she. We know she's like a badass, but at the same time, we know that she's also dealing with a lot of stuff herself, and she's trying to, you know, 
bottling all in herself, not trying to ask for help because, you know, that's how society has basically put us through. But in the end, she decides to go and seek help through Leia, which is kind of her anchor. That's great. Yeah, like she's like Princess Leia, except she swears and and does lots of uh, bad things, which kicks ass. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, she's not a good, like she's not a good person for <laughs> sure. I mean there were there were people uh, that wrote in some of the reviews like they, like they didn't like how she was you know treating Leia, putting her. It was kind of like an abusive re- relationship, and I'm like yeah, I mean that's kind of how. Wanted it. She, I mean, she's gone through a lot, and she's still processing it, and she can't know. She doesn't know what to do with it. So, and she has only one friend, so it, it just all barrels down on Leia, unfortunately. Oh, poor girl, Brennan. I am curious who your favorite character is. I love Sophie. I'm really tempted to go with Leia, but I think I'm gonna go with Kenji. Oh, I love Kenji. Son of a bitch, she took my yeah. <laughs> He um, he he just has this quiet calm about him and. What really, I think, makes him stick out is that, you know, granted, he has not been a vampire quite as long as, you know, some of the other characters mentioned in the book, but he kind of keeps this humble attitude of, like, self-control, and you, you know, you just assume that if he makes it to that, like, you know, 800, 1,000 years old, that he's going to be the same uh, person. He's a, he's, uh, he's a delight to read. <laughs> he's a samurai. Yeah, yeah, that, that's ex- that's exactly how I pictured him when I when he came, popped into my head. So I I wasn't really looking at the actual Kindle at my screen most of the time, but I remember the first illustration I saw was of Kenji, and like he would scare the shit out of me. But I would I would hope to be in Leia's position where he's like. You're one of us. It's fine, buddy. <laughs> so don't fuck yeah, with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's why I liked writing that scene in book two when he had to, um, you know, bite Leia, mm-hmm. and you, you, and she, you could kind of see like, no, he's this gentle giant. How can he do that? And then you can de- best definitely see that you know, even though he is this you know, great, calm person who kind of sees, you know, he's like the voice of reason within the book, in the books. But you can also just, you know, see that there are things that can throw him off and you don't want to be there when it happens. No, no, absolutely not. I love the phase of a vampire that you have created. Um, It's obviously, you know, it's, not new but nothing's really new it's what you do with as a writer how you spin it that is different and the way you spin it is is great just to for potential readers it's your vampire you gotta eat blood if you don't eat blood you become feral but it's how you play it's how you write about those and it's like the again the descriptors of like what happens to you if you don't and you really just go back to bram stoker of the charm um, for luring a victim, and it's really just it's they're, they're not good creatures, they are they uh they suck us dry, and if they don't, they become even scarier. Yeah. Um, do you is there anything about book two that you want to tell us? Maybe a synopsis because we haven't covered that, and same for book three, yeah, 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 sure. Uh, in book two, Leia is kind of dealing with the aftermath of what happened in book one. Uh, not gonna do any spoilers here. I, I I've been so guilty of that when it comes to films, and I'm like 
I'm doing a good job at containing myself, even though I want to sell, like tell you everything. But yeah, she's dealing with um, what happened in book one, and it was a traumatic event. I mean, if you survive, you know, this kind of vampire like siege, I mean, you don't really come unscathed from it. That's kind of how I wanted to deal, like to tell in book two that she's, you know, she's suffering from PTSD uh, because of it, and she's getting treatment. But then uh, she kind of notices that there's something going on in the world, like people are going missing, especially in Europe. But she kind of feels like, you know, as, as would happen, like when there are kind of these kind of disasters, you, because it's so far away from you, you feel detached mm-hmm. and it doesn't really concern you. But then it, like the ball drops when it actually does concern Leia because her little brother, who's um, Nathan, he goes on a like class trip to Amsterdam and he goes missing. And you know she immediately jumps to the conclusion that it might have to do with vampires because she is the only one, kind of like might have been the only human in the world that knows about the existence of vampires. Uh, so she kind of feels that it's up to her to go and find him before the vampires do. And she seeks the assistance of Kenji, uh, a va- Japanese vampire, and Grigori, an Italian vampire elder, to help her find her, uh, find, his, uh, find her little brother. And so they travel to Amsterdam, and that's where she kind of is hitting this kind of, she's kind of in like a, between a rock and a hard place because she has this kind of disadvantage of only going to look for him during night because, you know, the vampires can only roam around at night. But she, you know, doesn't, feels like time is, you know, ticking and she has to use every single time to find him. So she has enlisted the help of two vampire hunters as well. So she's kind of like doing this kind of, like a double agent kind of thing. And she has to juggle that at the same time while trying to going deeper into the uh, vampire underground world of Amsterdam. Did it take a lot of... Have you been there before, or was it all research? It was all research. I've never been there. I mean, I, I personally want to know. <laughs> that was that was really cool. I, that's one of the questions I had in my head when I was reading the second one. was like, whoa, there's a lot of details, but I, I mean, I can follow along pretty, pretty damn well. Um, Brandon, what were your thoughts on the, the international aspect of it? We're actually traveling outside of America. You know, I loved it, and it's it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The first one had this uh, kind of sprawling road trip mentality to it, and it almost just make it makes a certain type of sense to be like, okay, let's go bigger, let's let's do more. Um, if we're retreading that kind of trip down West Coast North America then we're not adding enough to, you know, debatably. I mean, it's you're, you're, we're, we're just retreading the same ground, quite literally. Um, so to kind of send it over to Europe almost seems like the next natural progression in a series. I, I thought it was fantastic. Um, and I, I'm not going to ask you to give us a synopsis of book three, because I don't think that's fair to put on you. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> For people who have not read, you know, anything in the series yet and who are looking to it, I don't I don't even know what you could tell us about it without uh, giving the I know, advice. I know. It's just, you know, putting it like when I was 
uh, promoting it on Twitter. I just like, how the fuck can I do this without spoiling everything? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I managed like to do a little snippet. So I can just, if you are interested in knowing what happens in book three, I can just kind of give you the locations. So it will, uh, you know, Leia will be traveling even further and she'll also be going back home, uh, but not to Anchorage, she'll actually end up going to Atlanta and Georgia. So it starts in Amsterdam. Uh, she then travels all the way to London, uh, where I can definitely say that there's gonna you're gonna find this kind of interesting pop role there. And then they are on a plane to um, to uh, Atla- Atlanta and Georgia, and you also kind of get more insight into the world of the songs, which I also wanted to expand. The songs in um, in my vampire world are these kind of vampire familiars, like human companions. Kind of think Renfield from uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, but they're uh, more like uh, the guy... Uh, the guy... Damn, I can't remember the... What was his character's name? In Blade 2. The one that Norman Reedus played. Oh, uh, I forget what his name was. Yeah, yeah was, Norman Reedus. <laughs> I forgot yeah. his name. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of like a mixture between Renfield and that character in Blade 2, in which they are kind of serving as the vampire's eyes and ears during the day. So, you, you know, because they they are vulnerable during the day, but at least they have the enli- they enlisted the help i just want to do that in quotation marks because it's not really help it's more like servitude uh, of these kind of human familiars so in book three i'm uh, you you get a little bit of snippet of, of how that world is that was a marvelous tightrope walk you just did there <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> so what i do want to ask you about is uh, you know i i got the sense that these were uh, painstakingly planned out so when you go to develop uh a novel or even the overarching series what's your process like is there is there a lot of outlining before you actually sit down to write yeah yeah yeah. that's i i would definitely like maybe just call myself like a planter uh i do like i'm a mixture between a panther and a planner and i always outline my stories before i jump into it but at the same time it's just it's just for me it's really nice to have this kind of like you know ideas put out in each chapter what's going to happen so i just know i'm not going to be derailed but there's always this kind of interesting thing that will pop up as i'm writing it like it will maybe go into complete different direction but at the same time i still have this kind of skeleton to go look at as i write so, and for those of you who don't know, I'm this kind of crazy person who outlines and writes everything by hand. So I have, I have like, uh, what, with Nocturnal Blood, the first book, I have three notebooks, like, written, like, page Whoa. to page. Holy shit. Yeah, and I think, yeah, Nocturnal Farm, the second book, also has three notebooks, and... Yeah, Nocturnal Salvation, the third book, also has three notebooks. So I've written, so I've filled in nine notebooks so far. Hmm. That's... <laughs> Killer right hand, man. <laughs> I don't know what to say, because I get all, like, sore and whatnot when I'm writing longhand. I do like writing longhand, but... 
yeah, I just, I, I just got, I just grew up with it. I, for me, a lot of people ask me why I do this and why I'm this crazy. It's just, you know, when I'm staring at a screen, like a computer screen, nothing comes forth. Just the juices, they don't flow. And but as soon as I like have my pen and my notebook is just there, it just, it's almost like it has like a, like a demon has possessed my hand and it's just writing for me. Clever shout out to Idle Hands. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, uh, okay, so I don't think we're going to really talk any more about uh, Nocturnal. It seems like we're going to be stepping on some spoiler territory. <laughs> Do yeah. you guys want to jump to something else? Yeah. All right, so how about your recent release, The Banquet? What can ah. you tell us about that? Uh, basically, I wrote it really angry. <laughs> Uh, well, how it kind of came into light was, um, it happened during, um, International Women's Week. So everyone was basically started off, you know, congratulating women and on all successes and what kind of we can achieve and everything like that. But then I suddenly started seeing like a lot of these assholes just jumping up and in and just butting in and saying, hey, what about International Men's Day? Why don't we have anything like that? (laughs) Which is actually kind of funny because they actually do. So I'm like, shut the fuck up. You already have it. So just let us have this. God damn it. (laughs) And uh, then there also came this outrage regarding... um, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, that, um, you know, infamous interview with Oprah, and just how people were bashing Meghan about, you know, her mental health and everything, and I'm, I'm a huge advocate for her mental health, so this also pissed me off, like, she couldn't get any real help, like, why are you screaming at her for not getting real help, she couldn't, mm. and just to top it all off, then came the murder of Sarah Everard. And she was a British woman who uh, was just, you know, she was normal. She just she did all the normal things that, you know, a woman is expected to do when you're when she's going home alone. But she was still kidnapped, raped and killed by a policeman, no less. And just, you know, going through, especially on Instagram and on Twitter, just, you know, seeing all these experiences that women have been telling, just, you know, all the things that we're supposed to do, but isn't enough. And then we're all, you know, scolded for it and judged judged by it. And it just, it got me, it just really, really, really made me angry and just frustrated with that. This is kind of, this, you, know, you know, it's 2021 and this is still the society that we live in. So uh, I decided like, I needed an outlet and, you know, writing is my outlet and I just wanted to write something about it. And I just wanted to kind of like give something back to these women, even though they might not, it might not be their cup of tea, which is of course completely understandable, but it's just, this is kind of how I would deal with it. I'm kind of like an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth kind of girl. But like I said, this is this is probably Sophie in me talking, but you know, Leia in me would also just say, "No, but I also believe in second chances." But you know, we'll we'll probably get to that in some day or someday. So I decided to write the banquet, which was inspired by uh, Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, mm. uh, because the, that um, short story is one of my favorite short stories in the world. It's just so good. And uh, it also had this kind of elements of uh, the, uh, the hostel, 
by Eli Roth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a, the first one was so pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I just you know I have never written anything about like torture devices, even though it's one of the things that I love to research. They're just so nasty. And just how far people would go for this is just it boggles for the mind. And uh, so I came up with a story about like a secret annual event regarding women who are invited to this event and they are given the opportunity to accept vengeance on the men who sexually assaulted them. Mm. So it's it's a short story and but it was a lot of fun and uh, I just, you know, getting to giving this, these women, especially in the story, this opportunity to do all kinds of nasty things to those men was just, in a way, a little bit of cathartic for me. Brent, I got thoughts, but let's hear yours. Well, first of all, the uh, <clears throat> at least a portion of the proceeds are going to... Uh, I'm going to ask you to say the charity's name. I see two accents on there, which means I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, not portion. All of the proceeds. All of go, them, okay. Yeah, all of all the proceeds. Portion. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Uh, all of the proceeds will go to Stigamot, which is an Icelandic char- charity that offers counsel to victims of abuse. That's awesome. Uh, now, I just so people know, we're going to have the link to download this. Um, it's three American dollars for the short story. Well worth it. But I couldn't find, I looked on Amazon first and I found it on Smashwords. So why don't you tell us, if you don't mind, why Smashwords? Why is that? That's the only place I could really seem to find it on. Yeah, yeah. I kind of wanted it to be, like, available as an ebook for, you know, old people. And there are, I mean, there have also been issues with Amazon at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are, you know, trying to boycott Amazon. So I just wanted to give them opportunity that you know, Smashwords is a place where people can buy ebooks as well, and they are they offer it in all the formats. So that was one of the reasons that I decided, like, yeah, Smashwords is good. I'll just do that. And they also distribute it to other places as well, not just Amazon. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Hostel because that's what Banquet reminded me of at times. Except it was specifically directed not at tourist uh, foreigners, but at um you know, shitty guys. And it's always weird for me. And I'm going to speak for Brandon and guys like us where some other guy would be like, Hey, I'm not okay with this. And you're like, what? Some rapist getting what they deserve. <laughs> it's so weird. I know it was so funny when, uh, when I aired this idea to Twitter, like, Hey, what do you guys think about this kind of revenge torture story? I mean, it sounds good. Right. And everyone generally, like most of the women that, you know, apply reply, they were like, hell yeah, give it, uh, give us that. Mm-hmm. But then there came this one guy, you know, elderly man, and just quote tweeted that my idea and just like, no, you shouldn't do that. There's been enough man bashing in the world. And I'm like, what the fuck? I was, I was kind of speechless and I'm like, I don't know how to react to this. And then I, uh, I talked to my friend, I talked to Richard uh, from uh, Staring Into the Abyss. And I'm like, dude, what the hell? What is this? <laughs> he just was like, oh, hang on. I got you. <laughs> we, 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 will, we will settle this. <laughs> Fair to say that uh, probably most of the world's issues have been caused by men. It's been very, most are patriarchal. It goes back to, 
thousands of years. I mean, let's say the roles are reversed. I'll get off my uh, milk crate in a second, but let's say the roles are reversed. Seriously, think about it. Every major war, you know, most women, at least in the States, weren't allowed to fight. They did, but they weren't known to be women. They had to do it under a guise. Um, Going back to... The earliest days, I mean, you know, ancient Rome, the Senate, it's all rocked by men. Mm-hmm. So, if the, I'm curious, if the roles were reversed, what would happen? It might be a lot better of a place. It is an interesting concept, and I hope someone will, like, tackle it, like, in a horror no- novel kind of sense. Yeah, I, I, someone smarter than myself, uh, I hope, would tackle that, because that'd be pretty cool. Um just one more thing about the banquet. There's one scene I won't describe it, but it made made certain parts of me shrink inside my tummy. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> this guy deserves it a hundred percent. But I'm just like, oh, this hurts me. <laughs> <laughs> Which ones? I, th- I went. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went. I went a lot there. Okay, fine, I'll just say it. I can think so, of at least three parts that you might be referencing. <laughs> I'm referencing when the guy's penis is cut. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, uh, it didn't actually come... Uh, I didn't write that part yet, but when I sent it to my friend, the one, um, his name is Damascus, he's the one who does the illustrations in my nocturnal novels Mm. and uh, he just he sent me like he is usually my alpha reader so I always send him his my my stuff to him first and ask him for his feedback and uh, he just came back to me like okay I love this story but I know you you can do so much worse with this and I'm like what do you mean worse I'm like this guy needs hell you like you need to yeah. give him literal hell, and you just you just you need to really embarrass him. Like talk something about his penis or something. I mean, cut off his penis, just anything. And I'm like, huh, all right, yeah, I can do that. That's hilarious, because and I'm not gonna, you know, we won't talk about this because it's in submission. But that that's kind of what I said to you about the uh, short story you sent me the other day. I'm yeah. like, I'm like, this is good, but. I've read three books by you and a few short stories. You're you're better than this. <laughs> I know, I know. This is what happens when I'm like on deadline and I can't manage to like firmly di- like gestate the brutality and the nastiness that usually it lives in my head. Mm-hmm. So usually I just send out this kind of first draft, and when you know when I get feedback like this, like you you can do better, then I can sit down and I'm like, oh yeah, I have some ideas. <laughs> I've I've gotten I've, I like how what you write uh, and how you zoom in on certain things like I've already said but um, I feel like I'm I can relate my style of writing to you like you can ask Brennan I've written a lot with him and he's written my stuff and uh, he's if it wasn't him it was someone else that said like you can stretch this out a little bit and that's why I'm a firm believer of beta readers like I love them uh, I know some authors don't use them but. What you got? Anything you want to say about beta readers? How they've helped you in, in whatever story? They've helped me so much. I mean, I cannot stress enough how you know having beta readers and just having you know also like an alpha reader is just is really helpful. I mean, you always think that everything that you write is correct, or you know, it, you know, it feels like it. Like, mm, yeah, I think it's like this. But getting this kind of feedback that you know, oh no, this sounds weird. This sounds awkward. 
maybe add a little bit of this or this. You know, even though they're just suggestions, you can always just, you know, take it with a grain of salt or just, you know, try to properly digest what they have. Mm-hmm. That's what I usually do. I just, you know, I sit down and I read the the, uh, the feedback and usually I always understand the feedback and I usually use the feedback because, this is, you know, these ideas, they are good and they help you make the story good, even look even better. So, I yeah, for those of you who are a little bit, you know, hesitant about having beta readers or alpha readers or just, you know, or if you have critique partners, by all means, get them. They will help you so much because as I, I don't know who came up with the saying, but you know, it's better to have more eyes than just one, two. This is uh, than just one pair. I probably said that really, 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 really badly, but you know, you get, <laughs> you, get you get the point. <laughs> Brendan, what do you, what are your thoughts? I'm curious, man. What, what are your thoughts on beta readers? On beta readers? I, yeah. I would echo pretty much everything that Viklam just said. Um, I, I, I like the idea where you kind of went on about you look at something that you've finished and you've looked over two or three times and, you know, it, it's when you get the notes back from beta readers, you might look at a sentence that you looked at four or five times and you're like, yeah, this is awkward. How did how did I get past that? You know, how did I OK that in the first place? Or, you know, I could expand a little bit here or I should lose that because it's useless. Um, it, it's just that, you know, another set of eyes, somebody whose opinion you trust. And of course, that's tantamount. You know, you can't just, you know, send it to the first person who replies on Twitter. That doesn't go well um, <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So as long as it's somebody whose, you know, opinions or writing you trust, uh, you know, pointing out things to you that you're just too close to the story to pick up on, uh, I think they're crucial. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, uh, Damascus really helped me with book three, for example. He got the first draft when I finished it, and he managed to point out a lot of things that I could both expand and also get rid of or, you know, just add on to and that he just really had a huge help with this. That's great. That's great to have someone like that. Um, in my experience, uh, going on like eight years now, I think with beta readers, maybe seven, but I didn't have a go-to for the longest time because I was kind of feeling my way around. And that's probably something that would have been helpful. Uh, when I was starting out just, uh, Know that every beta reader you have, even if they're good, doesn't mean they're a good fit for you. Um, yeah. Like, my first go-to beta reader was a guy I refer to at times as my mentor, Mark Cassell. He's a phenomenal writer himself. He, he uses beta readers, too, and uh, kind of taught me what he knows. And then, now, Brennan's like, my uh, I've, I'm new to the term alpha reader. Uh, I guess that'd be, like, your first reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I got Brennan because the dude's smart as hell. He knows what he's talking about. And, you know, I, I've I've been lucky to get a few that I'm like, they're my go-tos. So that'd be my two cents. Like, give it time. It, you don't have to rush through it. And just because they're great at one story and they have the best advice for that doesn't mean you have to use everything they say for the next one. Exactly. I, I've been a beta reader as well, like, for other people as well. And I, I try to tell them at the same, like, when I... As when they asked me to beta read, that I can be brutal. 
it's just you know because I there is if I see potential I just will point that out to them like you can make this way better and if there's something that I you know that I feel like hurts the story it I will point it out uh, I was beta reading um, Janine Pipes um, she was working on a novella I don't know if she scrapped it or just put it on hold for now mm-hmm. but um, most of it, it, like, it came up from uh, a short story that she published in uh, Women in Horror Volume 2, like Graveyard Smash, which was a really good short story. But she kind of still was in that kind of narrowed mind tunnel vision, basically. She was just still focusing on that it was more like a short story. So I pointed it out to her, like, you need to expand more. Uh, you need. Uh, it's always good to try to look it through the eyes of this character that you're working on. Uh, try to envision like what kind of what what is she thinking? What is it, like what is she feeling? Because it was written in a first person point of view. And when in my experience, it's always good to have like feel for the old senses. Just not just just what she sees, but also like what she's touching, what is she smelling, what is she thinking, and. Uh, she she did say like she was really she did appreciate all the beta uh, all the feedback that I gave her but <laughs> she she said like you're brutal as well though I'm like I'm am sorry I just I know you have potential I just if you work on it you it will be pretty good. I personally so, love that though I like yeah. the you know the the more notes the better because I I always send something off to beta readers knowing that it can be better never like this is perfect and I just need that affirmation. Um, Chad Lutsky said something that always stuck with me, and I hope I'm not misquoting him too bad because he does occasionally listen. But uh, he he basically said that if you get a beta read back from somebody and it amounts to this was good, I liked it, he never uses that beta again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, I agree. Um, I definitely agree. If if it, if it doesn't have a suggestion or two, I'm like. Mm. It's not a good fit. The last yeah. thing I wanted to say about this is, um, yeah, they, you know, know who you want to use and stuff, but um, what was my train of thought? Help me, Brennan. We never record in the morning. Now my brain's like, ah! Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Sorry. Um, that? Bah, that's okay. You should know what that means. That if you're getting a... Uh, God damn it, I'm cutting this out. I keep losing my fucking train of thought. <laughs> I'm cutting this part out. I was actually kind of honored that I managed, I was, you know, Chad Lutsky actually let me beta read one of his stories. Did just you recently. get a lot of feedback? <laughs> I did, yes. Yeah, I actually okay, did. perfect. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, like, I, I put a lot of feedback, and he was like, whoa, thanks for that. I really appreciate it. And I'm like, oh, no problem. I hope I wasn't too brutal. <laughs> Because you know, I'm still I'm still in this kind of um, I'm still new in this kind of indie horror community, so <laughs> I didn't even know that Chad Lotsky was that well known. So when oh I- man! So when I sent him this, I'm like, oh shit, he's gonna hate me! Oh my god! No, he he doesn't take. That's the thing that I wanted to bring up. The last point he doesn't take from my experience things personal. He's you know he's lived he's lived the. Uh, He's at the point of being a grandfather in his life. He's gone through a lot of ups and downs in general in life, I'm sure. And he he seems like a pretty, you know, like a patient guy that doesn't take 
notes for a story to heart unless you're like you suck <laughs> but I, even, no, I, I even, that bad. <laughs> yeah there's a huge difference and, and it, it took me a little while and i was like i took it as an offense with my wife the most that when she is the first story ever sent her in physical format it's a short story she's like she stopped after a page or two she go, she goes all oh, your tenses are mixed up <laughs> i was like oh this sucks but um I, I get this. I get this so hard. I uh, I I usually never let my husband read my stuff. And this one, <laughs> and this one time, um, uh, um, Samantha Kolesnik, she sent me back the short story that I have in her um, adventure horror anthology, Far From Home. Plug that after. Yes, <laughs> and uh, she sent me like this, um, like edits and what I could do to like make it a little bit better. And I'm like, okay. And I asked my husband to read it over and I was so fucking nervous I just stood like way in the back like where the sofa is and while he was reading and I'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god he's gonna fucking hate it oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god what are you gonna say and he just mentioned a couple of things but at the same time I was like but it's good right it's okay he's like yeah it's fine (laughs) I almost fainted I'm like thank god we're all insecure Everything, oh, yeah. even the most confident person, we're all like we're we're vulnerable because we're putting out. At least most writers put what our heart and soul is into the story. You know, it's not everything, but it's part of us. Yeah. And that's what I was gonna say uh, when I started out. And I know other people do this. They take things personal, constructive criticism as like some people go way off the rail, and we've seen it on Twitter. People in our community, people that we don't know. Um, For anyone that would take my two cents on this, uh, don't do that. It's not personal. Um, And and take each lesson as a suggestion and an opinion. That's it. That's all I got to say about this subject. (laughs) I did take my, uh, like, the feedback I got from my brothers when they read uh, Nocturnal Blood. I did take it just a little smidge personally because, you know, they they read it and they both said, like, oh, it's really well written. Like, holy crap, it's really good. But then but then, then I was like, but... And they're like, we don't like Leia. Oh, no. Like, she's so whiny. And I'm like, like, do you have anxiety? And he's like, no. Yeah, then you shouldn't say anything. I get it. Uh, yeah, and at the same time, I kind of wanted to point out to them, you know, because they've, you know, they love horror films as much as I do. And they've, you know, we've kind of gotten this, like, really immersed into our brains that all female leads in horror films are supposed to be these badasses. Can't hurt, who can't feel anything. They just have to be as badass as the male counterpart. So I was like, that's not who Leia is. Sorry about that, but yeah. That's another reason why this is a vampire story that people, a story in general that people should read. And you know what? That's so like, that's so bullshit. I know, we all know plenty of guys that are little whiny bitches or insecure. Like if you wear a pink <laughs> shirt and you have a bunch of people that just say shit, like why? What's the point? Like mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a color. It's on the you know it, it's like red, except it's not red. It's pink. And why do you yeah. feel a need to? Like that's you're harboring certain things that you're projecting to to us, and uh, 
I, I think that there's a lot of men that are little bitches. They might physically be able to kick my ass, but <laughs> I mean, why why can't that be pointed out often in, in stories? And I'm, I'm sure they are. I mean, Vic LeMay, you're you're probably going to be one person that does that, and I can't wait to read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Brendan, anything else on this subject, sir, before we move on? On betas? Yeah. I'm just making sure I'm thinking of the right subject. I don't know. Um, I, I have a, a ADHD <laughs> brain, so it's like, hey, talk about A, and then jump to yeah, three, and then the here's only, a fish. <laughs> the only thing I would add, and I've talked about this before, but I just think it's so important, is when you're new to writing, um, because I struggled with this, uh, was learning how to uh, take things with a grain of salt. You know, I have a very vivid memory of a story I sent out to three betas, and I got a lot of really good notes, and I tried to incorporate every one, sent it off for submission, got rejected, and, you know, went back and read it six months later. I said, no wonder. Thank God they rejected this. It reads like Frankenstein's monster. It's It, it doesn't have a voice. It has three... Uh, four really uh, portions of voice and it's yeah. you know you, you have to learn that you know a lot of times betas might say rephrase this because it's the way they would have phrased it if you yeah. can kind of teach yourself the difference between this is awkward and nobody says it like this and this is awkward and I wouldn't say it like this that's a big step forward to be able to take yeah, yeah, definitely. That's why uh, when I'm doing beta reading, I always just say, like, maybe add this because, you know, it might work, like, as his voice or as her voice, but, you know, they have to figure out if it works or not. Mm -hmm. Tyler Jones, actually, you know what? And I, I, I'm going to assume he got this from Chuck Palahniuk because, uh, especially considering his book's called Consider This, often Tyler's feedback will be consider this approach. And Brennan. Brendan does that too, and um, I like that. I mean, like I'm an insecure little bitch, so like when you're when you're using when you're coddling me with children gloves, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll consider that. I don't feel so bad about myself, but and and this might um, be helpful to someone struggling with this. But one thing I'm focusing on right now that I'm struggling with in earlier drafts is not describing like a room or a scene or like a surrounding um marcus sells some feedback he goes this is something that you're lacking right now like just say a room he goes it's just talking heads in a blank space so that might be helpful to someone else to think about like hey how am i describing rooms or an atmosphere uh that's all that's all i got now this so i would like to move on to upcoming projects if you guys are oh wait no there's one thing video of cursing in icelandic that vic lemay did that was funny as hell you were like at what can you tell us about that real quick and i'll post that link if you're okay with that wait are you talking about the one that i posted like on my youtube channel or yeah yeah you were at work and you're like this is how you say a certain word in icelandic a curse word Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it was yeah, YouTube. Yeah. Maybe I'm mixing that up. No, with... no, it wasn't YouTube. I posted it on just on Twitter. You guys, okay. I just posted like this idea on Twitter because it, it was there was nothing to do at work. And I'm like, I'm bored. So, hey, guys, you want to hear me swear in Icelandic? <laughs> and people were like, yes. So the thing with our, uh, our swear words, I mean, we swear. Well, I can't say we. I, maybe I just should say I swear whole fucking lot 
I just, haven't heard one swear word yet. Right, right. <laughs> it just it just blends seamlessly into everything. <laughs> Uh, well, the thing is with our swear words, it's just it has all this kind of connection to hell. So um, we t- we would put anything that has to do with hell or with the devil, which is funny because you know we're not that overly religious, though. It's kind of ironic when you think about it. So if uh, if I'm gonna reenact <laughs> what I did on Twitter, um, if I would. Say, for example, that I would I was stuff you know that I stubbed my toe on a furniture, which happens actually quite a lot with me. I'm so fucking clumsy. Um, yeah, I would just go you know let out a stream of uh, curse words, which we which would be something like this. Jewels is helvitis anskotas fucking jewels anskoten havida. That sounds angry. <laughs> Well, yeah, because it usually sounds angry. But we, you know, I mean, do you want me to do it in a happy thing, <laughs> happy voice? No, no, you were you stubbed your toe. I wouldn't be happy. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> That's but great. yeah, we 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 tend to use like fucking a lot. But we we've kind of like Icelanded it. If yeah. I. if that's not the best word to translate it, but you know, we we don't say fuck like with a U. It kind of becomes like an O and then two K, so fuck. Fuck. Yeah. Sweet. So after about a oh there, this slips out the Icelandic. Um, we usually just go, oh, Jewish is fucking helvete. Helvete is fucking fuck. That's actually what that what that came on our annual um, end of year comedy show. So we always have this kind of end of year comedy show uh, in Iceland that we kind of make fun of everything that happened. At, during that year, and it was during the time when the uh, Panama uh, documents leaked out, and we noticed that there were a lot of our politicians that were involved in the Panama uh, documents. They still haven't been brought to justice. Oh. <laughs> yep, it's kind of gives you an insight into the Icelandic political system here. Uh, but you know, people were angry at that time, and we we protested and everything. And in this. Uh, comedy is like our uh, they didn't bid on that and there was just one guy who was just you know sitting in his uh, on his like in his dining room and he just wanted to make like a protester like sign and he didn't know what to put there he was like i'm so angry but everything this year has been so fucked up but i don't know what to write so what should i write and in the end he just decided to write hell with this fucking fuck so it was just a goddamn fucking fuck. <laughs> Are, is America on a, a lot of those clips? Because, I mean, like, you got so much material. Uh, no, not really. That's probably for the best. The world yeah. doesn't revolve around us, Pat. <laughs> I, look, I got to get my, my, my butt out to that side of the world. I've never been over to, like, Europe or whatever. No, but if you watched um, if you watched the Eurovision with uh, with Will Ferrell, he kind of gave uh, accurate ish vision of how we Icelanders like to look at foreigners, like just you know the tourists in general, especially the American ones, and it was hilarious. How do you how do you guys or well, some of you? He kind of portrayed it that we hated you, like oh you're <laughs> like oh you're so annoying, like everything that you do is like you're stepping out of the fucking world for the first time, and oh you're so annoying. 
it was so funny because you know I worked in the tourist industry and I'm like I wasn't like that I actually enjoy talking to you guys so I don't know that's hilarious let's talk about upcoming projects what do you have that's upcoming that you would like to talk about if any um so I am you might be a little bit sad to hear that but I'm not going to be working on the nocturnal book four I'm I'm gonna let that a little bit brew a little bit more of like further in my head because I you know I have three books to write and I just really need to get my shit together and see what what I'm gonna have to do with that (laughs) but I'm just now decided to work on just there's so many submission calls so I'm like I want to put my short stories out there because I've actually developed this really huge ass crush on short stories so I'm Hopefully gonna, you know, focus on that for the summer. And if I get any rejections, I'll just use them to work on my, like, I'm probably gonna do like a short story collection. And my friend and I at Damascus, we're actually gonna work on a Western horror story. Oh, yeah. What can you tell us about that? Uh, My idea was that it's gonna be about um, Wendigos. Oh, nice. Yes, they're actually one of my favorite mythical uh, beings. They're so creepy. I know. It's going to be so much fun. The ritual portrayed it so well. It did, yeah. So I'm going to bank on that. And it's going to be about like people trapped on a train when mm. Wendigos attack. Like, nice. they are, like, they're, t- they're like stranded near a field of tall grass, and that's where people go missing one by one and it's up to a female bounty hunter and her captive to try to fix things and try to you know prevent from everyone dying that's awesome yeah sign us up for that um just want to remind everybody if you want to get some dead headspace merchandise go to deadheadspace.com click on the store tab and you can find my mug on a mask I think, uh, what was it, the episode with Cat Scully said, have my face on your face. Something like that. <laughs> no, I do like that. that. That's not going to sell anything. I need a new thing to say. Well, where can people follow you, Vic LeMay? I'm okay. most active on Twitter. I mean, if you if you haven't heard from <laughs> what I've been saying this entire <laughs> podcast, like I'm so active on Twitter that you can even bother me at work when I'm supposed to be working. <laughs> my 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 hand is glued to the phone, as my boss used to tell me. But she she's she's fine. She she says it's okay so as long as I you know handle the customers first. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, and. Uh... Um, Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. My, my Twitter handle is Vitleme, and then there's a capital S, because my last name is unpronounceable for you guys, so I'm going to save you guys the torture of doing that. Can you pronounce it? Because I don't know how to do it. Okay, so my full name, because I have a long name, is Vitleme Kristin Mist Seupjörsdóttir. Okay, that's... You try now, Pat. Uh, nope. Let's move on to what are you reading? What are you currently reading? So I'm actually, because I'm going into research mode, I'm actually reading uh, T.C. Parker's latest book, Salvation Springs. Nice. So I need every kind of research about Westerns because, you know, there's not a lot of Western here in Iceland, you guys. (laughs) 
So it is a beautiful country, though. It is, but not the, the Western type thing. Nope. I need, I need, I need the scorching type of sun. You know, we don't barely get that here. Brennan, what are you reading, bud? So uh, we are, I don't remember if we've talked about this on an episode before, but we are starting a new feature uh, in June because oh, yeah. we have this terrible problem where we uh, have so many people we want to talk to, so many people we want to you know, help them get their word about their upcoming books out there. We just don't have enough time to schedule everybody. So we're going to be doing uh, readings and mini interviews uh, with certain authors that you know we can't get in for a full episode, uh, and the very first one is going to be with Cena Palayo. So I just jumped into Children of Chicago last night, um, and I'm like three chapters deep. I'm digging every word. You know, her voice is just. It's so I, I have that I, book I on audio, so I can't wait to listen to it. I just got the audio too. Um, I stopped after so long when I saw that the audio was out. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to read that. Do you see why I compare it to Thomas Harris? Yeah, it's been a while since I read the Hannibal books. Uh, it's it been at least 10 years. So I don't remember, you know, exactly prose styles and stuff like that. But I've got enough of it, you know, to, to see why you would make that comparison. Now, Pat, is there anything you want to add about Spotlight since we're kind of unofficially oh, yeah. announcing that? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, good call, man, because I totally... Didn't even think of that. Um, yeah, so me and Brennan are gonna figure it out. Like we're we're gonna it, it's it's gonna be many episodes. We're gonna have the audio video version. Audio versions are found where you find your podcasts or wherever you listen to full episodes. That's where they'll be. Um, and the and it's just gonna go into bonus material. They're not like an episode. They're so far we're planning it for. I said five to ten minutes. Maybe the last thirty. I don't know, but I can't imagine we want to go any longer than that. That would um, be an episode. That would be an episode. That would so no longer be mini. Readings don't fit this style uh, for the full length episodes, but we we kind of wanted to. We want our platform to be a place where you can find pretty much everything. We're trying to document this era of horror dark fiction and crime and the way that we're doing that is exploring what works and what doesn't and we think this would be a good way to give readers a glimpse into a author know the basics of them have the links the whereabouts to find them and hear just a short piece of a latest fiction or a book that they really like um that they wrote uh we'll have Cena palio first after that will be sh uh I don't know if she's going by her full name, Samara um, Hunt, but uh, I think it'd be S.A. Hunt. Let's see, real quick. Uh, and then after, well, no, she's third. Mark Gunnels is second. So we got Cena, Mark Gunnels, and uh, then S.A. Hunt. Um, talked with Gabino, and I'm not talking to anyone else right now, so I'll get carried away. But that's the thing. <laughs> that's not like you. That's the three that we got planned um, with probably Gabino being the, the fourth one. And um, we don't have a schedule for them. We're just going to do them whenever me and Brennan think that's a good time to jump in and have another spotlight. Um, what are you uh, also currently reading? Because I know you read a few books at once, Brennan. Yeah, I do. I, I, I'm still working through, oh gosh, which one did I talk about on Friday? 
Um, oh, uh, Queen of the Cicadas by V Castro. Um, I've got Coco by Peter Straub going. Um, but th- this is the one I'm I'm diving into most recently. So, once that I'm gonna probably start in a week is uh, Sam Richards' Weird Punk Books. Uh, the press that has a lot of exciting books coming out. So I got three that I'm gonna prepare for, which is Sam Richards' own book to wallow in ash and other sorrows that won, won the uh, I believe it's called the Wonderland award um then we got joanne uh joe koch uh the wingspan of severed hands it's a pretty i mean i love that cover it's so fucking cool and then the last one is uh three different writers sam richard katie michelle quinn and joe Quinnell. uh it's a tiny super tiny book it's called uh laser mall and mm. this is literally a almost pocket-sized book. And then um, I think I'll, I might, I don't know, I might be jinxing myself, but I might be able to read Eric LaRocca's Ro- latest book. Um, it's so good. I saw you had uh, gotten an early copy of it. I did. I was, really, I was excited to get one of those uh, the signed copies that Sam put up for sale. Um I think that's going to be a big one this year. Everybody who's read it seems to absolutely love it. I just I read it in one sitting, and at the time we were, uh, we were we usually just go like at a set time to bed, and I was like, shh, 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 shh. no, no, <laughs> I, let me finish this. I need to know what happens. So that I just is, read it in, in one sitting, and I just I couldn't get enough. That's called "Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke." I love the title, the cover though. Oh my god, I. Eric sent us the digital, but I'm like, I gotta have my hands on the physical. That thing looks phenomenal. It looks like something Clive Barker would have on one of his books. Yeah, it does. Um, you know what? Let's jump to one of the last things. Final thoughts. Is Vic Lemay, is there anything that you want to talk about we haven't covered? Anything you want to say? Just, you know, that I had my website redesigned, so you can just go and jump on to my website. It's vitlemaymistauthor.com, and there you'll be able to find all kinds of interesting things. You can have links to my books. It also has a pretty cool trailer of the first book. And then you can also, because I have a YouTube channel, it's called Fanged Pipsqueak Reads, so it's a review the YouTube channel. So I'm reviewing like small, like indie authors and small presses and independent presses regarding to horror in most of the cases. And I had this, I had, I had put in the website that you can suggest a book to me. Oh, that's different. That's cool. So if you have any, like if you have a book that you really, really like, you can definitely suggest that. And I will look into like getting it and trying to review it. Awesome. Uh, Brennan, anything that you want to cover before we uh, say goodnight, goodbye, whatever? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it doesn't no, I want to thank you today for uh, giving us almost two hours of her time. Um, I loved the Nocturnal series. Whenever you get around to writing book four, I'm anxiously awaiting it. Uh, I think what you what you did with the uh, with Banquet and you know sending all of the proceeds to Stegemote. How close did I get? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Okay, Uh, pretty good. (laughs) I'll take that. Um, I think that's a really, really cool and very necessary thing to do, and I I don't have to tell you that. Um, And congratulations on having your story come out in Far From Home. That was 
that was one of those anthologies that everybody and their mom was subbing to. So you you know you are in that spot. Yeah, oh, let's, it's let's still... plug that real quick. Plug it yeah. away, Vikram May. Yeah, so I have actually, I, I didn't believe it at first, but yeah, I managed to get a spot in the really anticipated anthology from Sel, uh, Sam Kolesnik's Off Limits Press. It's called Far From Home, and it's an anthology of adventure horror. And if you guys are, uh, you know, kind of wishing that I was reading, uh, like writing more about Iceland, you're in luck because this story happens in Iceland. <laughs> And it focuses on like one myth, like Icelandic mythological, mythological being. Very cool. But I should check that out. Sam's uh, been prolific as hell this year. I, I mean, what what hasn't she, has. she done? What yeah, has exactly. she not done? You know. Um, my final thoughts are: I echo Brian. Thank you for your time, Vic May. Appreciate it. It's been a blast, and we definitely want to. Read whatever you come out with next, especially book four. Uh, we highly recommend Nocturnal Series. Um, it's great. Brent, as always, thank you, sir. Listeners, thank you for joining us again. If you are wondering who we have next, it is happening in three days for episode 94. We'll be talking to Tim Meyer, surely covering his summer, uh, Malignant Summer. I almost butchered that title again. Um, again. And we'll probably be talking about his uh, love for IPAs and being a Jersey boy. Who knows? We haven't recorded it yet, so we'll have fun talking about that with him. Um, thank you for listening to us. You have many choices in podcasts. We thank you for picking us. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.